This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. And I'm Jamie Jennings in Norman, Oklahoma, and you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network, and it's March 3rd, episode 2632, brought to you today by Stateline Tack. Good morning, horse people. It's Wednesday morning. That means Jamie and Glenn are back to talk horses with all of you. Well, let's be honest. Jamie talks horses. Glenn is just here to hassle Jamie. Enjoy the show. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. We really appreciate it. Uh, I would like to say we're all going to have, uh, we're going to be silly and funny and entertaining the first half hour of this show, but we're going to get have to talk about something serious that's broke since we were on the air on Monday. It, there's no shortage of breaking thing news and things in the world right now. And EHV-1 is back. Um, apparently, this is a rather nasty strain of EHV-1. And uh, it's closing shows all over Europe. We're going to talk about that. We're also going to hear from Dr. Slovis from Haggard Equine Medical Institute. And he's going to explain what it is and what we can do about it, if anything. Uh, also, we have a second doctor coming on the show today, Dr. Robert Jacobs. He's a Ph.D. He's an in, in, in equine innovation manager with Purina, and he's going to explain Purina's microbiome research project. Do you know what microbiome is? Nope, don't. I don't have any idea. (laughs) And we also are going to have weird news, which oddly, in a way, it's going to tie to the microbiome thing, but we'll get to that. Okay. Uh, And then uh, Black Rain Magazine, a guest of the month is joining us, and she's a dressage rider, and she's also a business badass, and she's coming on with us today as well. So we have a very busy show for you today. We're going to get right into it. Almost missed uh, putting the volume up for the Daily Winnie. Uh, This is uh, one of these, of course. And because I am not going to say Jacqueline's name other than Jacqueline, because I have no idea how to pronounce any of those other names, uh, we're going to just say happy birthday to Jacqueline, Leslie, and Megan, and that way I don't get picked on by Jamie. Come on. I'm safe this way. Uh, (sighs) Also, we want to thank our amazing auditor, Mogi, for increasing her pledge once again uh, in the auditor group. She's absolutely amazing. And uh, we love you, Mogi. Thank you so much for that. It is appreciated. I even texted Jamie when it happens, and I don't do that very often. Mm -mm. My daily when he goes out to what I am attempting to have is the world getting back to some semblance of normal. And what that means is either tomorrow, the problem is I'm I'm trying to get to Atlanta and the flights are filling up. And you guys know that my husband works for the airline, so I can just kind of hop flights that are empty, but 
unfortunately. They're all filling up because everybody is going back to flying, which is fantastic. That's the good part. The bad part is, I don't know if I'm going to get there or not, but we're going to give it a good old college try. And what that means is I am going to Atlanta to hang out with my brother to go see my favorite band growing up of all time, which was a band called, and wait for it, they had some hits. Glenn, tell me how many times you've listened to the band Driving and Crying. Never. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Driving and Crying was ginormous in the Southeast in like the late 80s, early 90s. And um, nobody else, I, I, I was shocked when I met people outside of Atlanta and they didn't know who Driving and Crying was. No and idea. it's like, <laughs> it's like a folk rock band and they sang songs like called Fly Me Courageous Straight to Hell. And you would love it. I mean, the, back in the days when there was like still guitar solos that, that were actually made from guitars and not computers. And uh, I'm super excited to go. So hopefully, fingers crossed, I go. What and surprised I, me about all of that is there's actually a concert again. Yeah, I, it's very responsible. And you have to wear a mask and be social distanced and all those things. And and I really need to go because the other part of this is my brother, I mentioned this the other sh episode, was my brother is dating a horse girl. Oh, that's right. You have to beat the horse girl. <laughs> I got to meet the horse girl. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck with that. I don't we all know, know how horse what girls he's are. thinking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, could you please get him on the show? I can talk to him about that. Oh my god, that would be great. <laughs> I will. I once I meet her, and if I think it's going to stick around, you know, if it's going to stick, then I'll have you. Have how long has he been single? Judge. Maybe we should just let this happen. Uh, um, my he's my older brother. Yeah. And he's never been married. Okay, maybe we should just let this happen. Maybe, <laughs> you know, once we get it with the horse girls, we tend to stick with them because you, then we're broke and can't leave. So he's broke anyway, which is why I'm like, <laughs> what is she thinking? Maybe you need that. We need to get her on the show, right? That's what we need to do. Uh, boy, oh boy, it's been an interesting couple days. I don't know how much you've been following what's been going on. But uh, yesterday, the FEI canceled European mainland events through March, through March 28th. In 10 European countries, they're canceling shows. And because there's a very aggressive strain of neurological form of equine herpes virus, EHV1. And this started, originated in Valencia, Spain. And let me tell you, I read an article out of there this morning. A girl named Erica Schwartz, a Swedish a jumper, was there for a big jumping show in Spain. And right after she got there, apparently she showed for like two days and then her, then horses started getting sick. Of the 15 horse, 16 horses this girl has there, 12 of them are sick. Yeah, I read what she Ugh. wrote and it's heartbreaking. She's like, I'm just watching them all be so sick and I can't do anything about it, you know? They're, they had two vets on the grounds when this all came down. By the way, she said that Spain did not handle this well at all. Apparently, the horses that started getting sick, they didn't quarantine them right away. And anybody who knows anything about EGA1 knows you separate everything and everybody and you change your clothes when you come out of the, that area. I mean, it's just you take chemical showers and it's just bad. Uh, but they didn't. They had healthy horses besides sick horses. And now they have two vets there that were on the grounds at the time. And they've been there all 10 days taking care of 150 horses. Hmm. Uh, they do have everybody separated now, the sick ones and the healthy ones, but they're not allowed to leave. Nobody's allowed to leave. But it, And they have quarantined the people, too. So if you're taking care, if you're a groom in the area of the sick horses, you can't leave. So all food is brought in and left at a gate. 
you know, for the people, they're not allowed to go out to do that. I mean, it's just bad. She wow. said it's like hell there. Um, and now they've had reports of this strain in Europe, so that's why they're shutting all the shows down. There are reports of this strain in Canada. Uh, there's a couple farms up there that have been shut down. And now, as of yesterday, the World Equestrian Center here in Ocala has been made aware that there's a horse in the Ocala area that has tested for EHV1. And uh, they basically came out and said there's no horses at the showgrounds. However, they're going to go into strict hygiene protocol, which means they take temperatures of the horses twice daily and they have to log it. They have to isolate any horses that look sick at all. Um, and they have isolation barns over there to do that. So they're set up for that. Uh, no sharing of equipment, water buckets, any of that stuff. So, I mean, they're really increasing their biosecurity protocols over there because God, can you imagine with thousand some horses at the world equestrian center, you know, that goes, that starts hitting. That's not good. Um, we're good. We're, we didn't, Interview Jamie and I did an interview a while back with Dr. Slovis from e Haggard Equine Medical Institute, and it was all about this. And you know, one of the questions, and you'll hear it in Arizona, we didn't say it twice, but everybody I've noticed has been writing, Well, just get vaccinated. Well, this is a tough one to vaccinate against this particular strain, and he explains why. So uh, we're going to play that for you again today because I think it's important to remind everybody what it is. And you, even in your situation, you get horses coming in from the rescue. I have one coming in today. Who have come from a different place, a lot of them. So mm -hmm. you don't know necessarily where they've come from. So you just have to be, I, I would, if I were you, I'd be isolating horses to come in for a while. Um, if you have a way to do that, a separate area or something. But, um, you know, it's something we all have to think about a little bit now. Uh, and, it, you know, if it's in Canada and now we have a case in Ocala, it's all over the country, you know. But here's just what we need, more virus talk <laughs> in this country. For real, I'm oh. virused out. I know. I know. I get it. But uh, let's take a listen to, because I think it's so important, let's take a listen to Dr. Slovis. Uh, we recorded this a couple of years ago, but the information's the same. Nothing's changed. And uh, he did a good job of explaining it all. And then we're coming back and we're going to talk more medical stuff and, and a little dressage and have a little fun toward the end of the show. Good morning, Dr. Slovis. Thank you for joining us. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, you know, we're, we're so happy to be doing this uh, collaboration with Haggard and to really cover some topics that uh, we've talked about in the past on the show, but th that we can take a new look at today, like we're going to talk about EHV-1. Yeah, so, so to kind of give everybody an overview of what EHV is. All right. Well, pretty much uh, what EHV stands for is equine herpes virus. All right. And it you know, and herpes virus can come in many different forms. In horses, now I'm not talking about donkeys, in horses there's five forms. So is there anything from respiratory problems to venereal disease to neurological form? So they, and then there's some that can cause you to get fibrosis or the horse to get fibrosis in the lungs. They call it pulmonary fibrosis. And so what we talk about, and they're easy to remember, they're equine herpes 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. And I'm sure there's others out there that we're, we're studying. I'm sure in the next decade there are going to be more numbers attached to the equine herpes virus. But when you think of problems with horses or the thing that gets the headlines is equine herpes type 1 and equine herpes type 4. Those are the ones we vaccinate for. 
When you think of the venereal disease, you can't vaccinate for that. That's type 3. Uh, type 2, a lot of foals have it. It can be immunosuppressive. So it just, oh, it just lowers your immune system when you're affected with it and can make you more susceptible to other infections. And that's equine herpes 2. Then equine herpes 5 is one in older horses can cause some pulmonary changes, lung changes, and get fibrosis in your lungs. If, you get, if it's severe enough, you know, by the time you find it, it's too late. You know, the, the permanent changes are there. And those are for older. And then when you talk about for donkeys, you have uh, three forms there. Uh, it's type 1, 2, and 3. It's specifically for donkeys, and it's closely related to equine herpes 1 in horses. So those are the kinds of herpes there are. You think about five kinds. The number one is the one that can cause respiratory signs as well as neurological signs. But to confuse the issues, there have been cases of equine type 4, equine herpes type 4, which is primarily known for uh, respiratory signs. Equine herpes type 4 can also cause neurological signs. And then to kick it all off, Equine herpes one can also cause abortions, and that's a big thing that we're worried about here in uh, in Lexington or any breeding establishment. Don't, isn't there a vaccination for that though? If people vaccinate, there are, appropriately? correct. Yep, there's a variety of vaccines that are out in the market that can protect against type one. So uh, that are out there now. And now with all these different drug companies buying other drug companies up, they always change the names. But there's a product called Pneumabort, which is a very high load of dead virus particles that you can inject your horse with and you can get a good protection to help prevent the abortions. But unfortunately, there's absolutely no vaccine in the market that can protect you against neurological form. Absolutely none. There's there's some studies that so, says one of the vaccines may help protect you, but again, it's one study with a handful of horses, and that's a modified live one called Rhinomune, but again, it's just a small study group. Um, bottom line is, all the experts say, you really can't protect it right now against so, the neurological form. So when we're seeing all of these EHV is shutting down facilities and quarantines going on, which form is that? And what are the symptoms that we can be looking for? All right. right, So what's going on? You were just talking about Payson uh, Park, you know, the thoroughbred training center down in Southern California that just had a uh, recent case of uh, herpes diagnosed there, EHV-1. And so we're talking about type 1. That's the one that people get nervous about because it has many different uh, facets to it, which means it can cause abortions, it can cause uh, respiratory signs, and it can cause neurological signs. And the big thing is when you have neurological signs, it can kill horses. So that's what gets scary. So that's why, and it's very highly contagious. But it's easily killed. You can kill it really easy with any of the disinfectants that are out in the market now. It's a wimp. You can kill it so easy. But that's the thing that is closing down the, the tracks. And the reason they're closing down the tracks is because it's very contagious. You can have it in your hands and pass it from horse to horse if you don't wash your hands properly. And the signs are they're very vague. You have a fever. The horse ships on in and you have a fever. And you think, well... Is that really herpes, or is that just because you got some low-grade pneumonia after a 10-hour trip from the northeast down to Florida to get ready for your horses to be trained? 
you know, there's a variety of different causes for fevers, and 99% of them are, are no big deal. But the 1%, so to speak, can be the herpes virus. And that's where what happens is a horse has a fever. Your veterinarian's doing blood workup, trying to figure out why. A day or two goes by, and the next thing you know, you have herpes virus. And you had a few days that went by that maybe people weren't wearing gloves, weren't properly washing their hands. Because how many people do that with a horse that has a fever? Not many people do that. And so they can spread it from horse to horse to horse. And there's a lot of traffic on the on the track. And if a horse is galloping by another horse and he blows his nose or something, that can aerosolize. And this herpes virus can spread 15 feet or so. And it can spread to another horse. And it just keeps going. And the crazy thing is, you know, when it comes to herpes viruses, once they get that virus um, and it's active, you know, it can go get into na- nasal secretions within 24 hours. Within 24 hours, a horse could start to be spreading it. So, oh, my gosh. You, you, you know, so you can see how it can amp on up. So that's why it scares people. But if you take proper precautions, it's not going to go wildfire in your barn. If you take proper precautions, and that's the key, you know, the proper precautions. I can tell you years ago, before we knew a lot about the herpes virus, you know, we had slings in our main barn here at Haggard's that we would get known herpes viruses into our into our facility. We would put them in a sling. And back then, the thought was once a horse is neurologic, they can't spread the disease. I mean, that was the thought years ago. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? The group in Ohio State learned learned it, learned that oh, that no. was not the fact, because that was the Finley horse outbreak. That at Finley College, they had a bunch of horses get sick. They isolated herpes. Some of them got neurologic. They brought them to Ohio State, uh, you know. And so at that time, at the veterinary school, they didn't take proper biosecurity, thinking just like everybody else did that you didn't have to, you know, it wasn't going to spread. Well, it spread like wildfire. And these horses could shed up to 21 days after infected. So that's another thing. That's why they put a quarantine on them for 21 days. Because it's been shown that these horses can shed the virus up to 21 days. Even if they get over the illness, they can still shed it. But what I was trying to get back to was we used to have these animals in slings here at Haggard's with our other horses. Our protocol here at Haggard's, because I'm the biosecurity officer, so we need to protect our hospital from disease. So we always wore gloves. We always had hand wipes by the stall. And you know what? These are animals that were severely infected with herpes virus, that were in a sling. This is before we knew all this info. And we didn't have any outbreaks in our barns. Mm-hmm. We didn't have any problems because guess what? We washed our hands and we took the simple precautions. And, and Way to go, biosecurity officer. Good job. Oh, oh yeah. Watch watch out. Exactly. But, no. <laughs> but I mean, that's a, that's a simple thing. People get paranoid. People get scared because of the lack of knowledge. Okay. And, well, uh, tr- and, 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 and they, get, uh, they get frantic. They start moving horses when they shouldn't move horses. Just hold tight. You're going to be fine. Use proper hand hygiene, and uh, you, you'll stop this dead in its tracks. Now, is there a treatment for it? it? EHV one, yeah, great, great, yeah. No, there is. There, there are some antiviral therapies on out there. There's human antivirals. One of the most common one is valcyclovir, and uh, the treatment is not cheap. You know, it can run depending on where your source is, anywhere from a hundred to two hundred dollars a day, and mm-hmm. usually you treat for seven to fourteen days, depending on the severity of the horse. So, 
there is some treatment if your horse has it. You can try to do the antivirals, and at the same time, um, you can do supportive care, fluid therapy, anti-inflammatories, anything you do to help prevent the inflammation of that brain um, because and, and your spinal cord. Because What's... that's where the herpes virus uh, attacks are the blood vessels supplying the uterus and the foal, the blood vessels in the, the spinal cord and the brain. It can affect those areas. And it's just essentially you're getting a stroke. You know, you're disrupting the blood flow. How many, what so, percentage do we, uh, do we lose a lot with the HV1 or is, you know? Uh, uh, you had an excellent question. We've been looking at the outbreaks, and this is going back on outbreaks from Finley uh, years ago in 2000, and I think it was 2006 we had one at Turfway Park. And you look at the morbidity is, is uh, what I'm talking about, mortality is you're talking less than 10%, okay. you know, 10% or so that get the disease. If they get neurologic, they, they may end up um, succumbing to the disease and, and die. But again, it's not, you know, a lot of these animals can end up uh, surviving and, and do, do okay. But the mortality is going to be less than 10%. Most of the time, it's less than 5% of the affected animals, you know, when you're looking at outbreaks. So is there is there like a long-term effect of, say you have a performance horse that's going out and running eventing and he comes down with it, will it ever event at the same level again? Oh, great question. Another great question. And that, that was, they looked at some of the data on the Finley horses because they had a bunch of horses that were affected up in the uh, up at uh, the Finley College up in Ohio. And so what they did, out of the 32 animals that were neurologic, they did a six-month evaluation. And they, they could only follow 26 of them that were available for an exam. They didn't want to do a phone call exam. They, the vets want to go out there and take a look. All right? So eight of those horses that had mild grades of neurological condition, all of them were 100% in six months. Okay? Uh, you're looking at another six that had uh, neurologic, which if you took the horse out of the stall, it may trip or stumble on itself. Uh, all the horses were back at work and doing well. Huh. And the worst of the worst horses, I'm talking horses that you didn't want to get in the stall because they may fall down on you. Um, half of them were back in full work in six months, and the other half were still recovering. So... Lesson to be told, if you've got mild neurological conditions, you should be able to make a full recovery. So ones that have severe, severe neuro neurological uh, disease, 50% of them, at least at six-month recheck, will get back and have no deficits and be able to be ridden. And, or they may not have no deficits. They may have such a mild deficit, but they could still be ridden. And, uh, and go back into full work. So the moral of the so, story again, that I'm hearing is don't panic. Uh, you know, uh, call your vet, get yeah. them out there before you panic. Uh, you can panic after your vet yeah, yeah. gives you permission, but don't panic yeah, first. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. All right. All right. Exactly. And, and horses will not shed the virus until they start spiking. And most of the times, in it's not 100% true, but majority of the cases are once a horse spikes a fever, then they'll start shedding the virus. So the main thing is if you have an outbreak situation, just monitor your horse's temperatures. If you start spiking a fever, then you can talk to your veterinarian and decide do you put them on treatment early with antivirals if you can afford it, 
Or do we vaccinate them? Do you put them on some immuno boosters? There's a product called Xylexis that's out there on the market that's been proven to show to fight against EHV4, type 4. But we don't know about type 1. But the viruses are so closely related, you would think it can cross-react and, and boost the horse's natural immunity against herpes virus type 1. So there's different products on out there that you and your veterinarian can talk about the how to prevent your horse from getting sick, or if it's already has a fever, about how to prevent it from getting uh, worse off. And again, not every horse that gets herpes virus is EHV1 or is going to get neurologic. You know, not every one of them is going to going to get that. You know, uh, right. just because you're exposed. Yeah. All right. Very good. So, well, you we can you can find out more also by visiting the website at h a g y a r d dot com. Haggard dot com is where it is the website. Well, today's show is brought to you as usual by Stateline Tech, and I was just on their website uh, while we were playing that recording, and I know that three quarters of this country is buried in mud, or if you still aren't buried in snow, but you'll. Be very <laughs> soon, and they have actually muck boots and rubber boots. They have ninety six selections of muck boots and rubber boots over at StatelineTech.com. I didn't even know there were that many rubber and uh, mud boots out there. Uh, I use the dry shod. I have the dry shod boots, and I really like them. I really they fit well, and they make men's sizes, they, which a lot of times you don't find. Yeah, the I have the dry shod haymakers that I use. Oh my gosh. I would not have survived this winter without those boots. Probably for you it was good, too, because they have huge treads on them. Yeah, they do. You can get through the snow. You can get through the mud. But also, they kept my feet warm. I just had regular socks on when I wore them. So I know that that's a... That that's the the worst part of going out is your feet get cold, and so these are really the, the dry shod ladies haymaker boots. That's when you get okay. I'm sure they're yeah. on this list somewhere. They have they the Innovation Mudsters. They have the Twisted X boots. They have I mean Smoky Mountain boots. If you're going for a little bit more style and bling, uh, and then uh, they just the list goes on and on. So and also keep in mind that the bugs are on their way. Mm-hmm. So. You can plan ahead by going to statelinetech.com and getting the fly sheets or the fly boots or the fly masks. All of the things that you need for spring are right there on the homepage. Now, as you all know, it's a little warmer here in Florida, but we've been getting rain every night, like an inch of rain every night. You know what that means next week, don't you? Do you have mosquitoes? Oh, the mosquitoes are going to hatch, and we're going to have three days where it'll be a nightmare outside. (laughs) Just, you can't go out. We actually put long sleeves on, and you try and cover up as much as you can, because you can't stop them. (laughs) It's just, they're waking up, and they're hungry. So, and they yeah. have a sale on the Kensington non-collapsing fly boots, which I also really like. Oh, cool. Do they make fly boots for people? I know, right? We need fly (laughs) tents. So Although I got to tell you, Lucas has a new thing where he's decided that he's going to wear his Iron Man outfit everywhere. And that well, includes being naked. <laughs> the onesie. Yeah, exactly. He's naked underneath. Don't think he's not. But the onesie like that Velcro's up the back and with the mask. And he walked out into the pasture and all the horses were like, Freaked like, out. <laughs> like, what is that thing? Oh, my God. It was hilarious. So if you are going to envelop yourself in some sort of 
mosquito net, Glenn. Just be careful. You will spook your horse. <laughs> if Iron Man spooks the horse, you're going to. <laughs> That's funny. Well, uh, I'm glad. Well, you know what? Probably the Iron Man suit's better for mosquito protection than what he was wearing before. So. <laughs> exactly. Better than nothing. <laughs> better than nothing. All right. We have another health topic to talk about today, and that's microbiomes. And uh, Jamie and I both are well-versed in that no, because we both have our doctorates. And we don't know. No, we have Anything. no idea what it is. So that's why we're going to talk to equine innovation manager Robert Jacobs, Dr. Robert Jacobs with Purina. Dr. Jacobs, thank you so much for joining us. How how is uh what's a day in the life of an equine innovation manager? It's a great question, right? Every day is different. Um, you know, I get to come uh, to work here at the Purina Animal Nutrition Center, which is our uh, research farm, uh, about forty miles outside of St. Louis. Um, and every day is different. You know, there there could be some days where um, you know, doing data analysis in front of my computer for 12 hours. Um, other days, I'll be out, you know, putting catheters in horses and collecting blood samples and muscle biopsies and all, all different, uh, you know, samples from the horses. You know, this time of year, um, you know, we get pretty busy. We're expecting our first foal on the ground here in the next, who knows, should our first mare was due March 1st. So we're, uh, you know, any time now. And, and so we'll be very busy with our uh, growth and reproduction research uh, coming up here for the next few months. Um, but every day is different, you know, I spend a lot of time formulating different diets and, and menu, you know, making new feeds and working with our marketing partners and supply chain partners. So um, it's a, it's a fantastic job. That sounds exciting. I mean, for a PhD, you've, uh, did you ever imagine yourself doing something like this? Definitely not, you know, going, going through my schooling, um, you know, I always envisioned myself eventually working um, at a university, um, you know, doing research and teaching. And, and, you know, I get to do those exact same things here in industry, but I get to, you know, you know, do them on a different scale and, and for mm -hmm. a different outcome, you know, the goal of producing products, but also educating horse owners and producers and all of that. Um, you know, and I get to dive into all the different components. Like I mentioned, the supply chain things, the marketing side of things, all of that. And it's just a, you know, it's, it's very different um, and unique, I think. Never a dull moment. Well, we're here to, to you're here to talk to us about equine microbiomes and a, a project that you guys are launching. Um, but first of all, tell, what is a microbiome? That's a great question. So, you know, the microbiome is one of those buzzwords that we hear about, um, you know, in, in human nutrition, human medicine, human physiology, but then across all the all species and, you know, specifically related to the horse, it's, it's, you know, this buzzword that we keep hearing about, you know, at the most basic level, the microbiome of, of a species of a horse or more particularly of a certain part of the horse is, is just the genetic material of all of the bacteria and viruses, protozoa, yeasts, all those different microorganisms that inhabit that specific part of the, the animal, right? So, you know, we'll take it, speak specifically to the horse's, you know, hindgut microbiome. So the cecum, large colon, um, again, very different from each other, um, but the, the hindgut of the horse would have a microbiome, right? The bacteria, viruses, protozoa, yeast, and make up all of the, the, the microorganisms, if you will, that live back there, and they have a vast responsibility. You know, historically, we would always say that the microbiome of the horse, the bacteria would are responsible for the 
the fermentation and the, and the digestion of the indigestible fibers that the horse eats. Um, but we're learning more and more that the microbiome plays a role really in all different areas of physiology. So kind of a long-winded answer to, to your question, but, you know, the microbiome is just this kind of unique, ever-evolving concept that we're learning more and more about. Gotcha. Now, you guys are doing a project. Tell everybody about the project you're working on. One of the things, Absolutely. apparently. So, <laughs> yeah, so one of our big initiatives here is what we're calling our Purina MQ, or Microbiome Quotient Project, right? So we all, are, we all understand what an IQ, an intelligence quotient is. We also have an EQ, which is an emotional intelligence quotient. But what we're trying to determine and figure out for the horse specifically is their microbiome quotient, right? So when we think about the microbiome, the, the next, you know, things that come into play are what we call probiotics and prebiotics, these different things that we can feed to the horse to impact the microbiome. But if we take a step back, we still don't truly and fully understand the population or the microbiome ecology, if you will, of the horse's gastrointestinal tract. So for us, the first step in understanding how to manipulate the microbiome is simply understanding what's there to begin with. And that's what our MQ project is all about. So we have um, received some, some amazing support from, um, from our leadership at Purina and Land O'Lakes, um, in, in which we have um, been basically tasked with go answer the question of what does the horse's fecal microbiome look like? And how does that impact or how does the microbiome impact different physiological parameters in the horse. So the way that we're doing this is through uh, uh, sequencing, you know, genetic sequencing of the bacterial species that live in the hindgut of the horse. So we have hired a microbiome scientist. Her name is Morgan Bowman, and she is uh, really a phenomenal scientist and really at the forefront of understanding, you know, the, the techniques and the technologies associated with uh, determining what the microbiome is in the horse. And the way that we're doing this is we're reaching out across the country to horse owners and veterinarians and, you know, horse enthusiasts around the country to help us to collect these samples. So basically what you would do is you would request um, a microbiome kit from Purina, and you can do this, you know, through a local salesperson. Um, you can do this by emailing us directly, or we also have a landing page on our website right now, which will direct you exactly. You can request your kit online. It's, it's very easy. And we'll send you a kit. And th in this kit, you have a fecal swab, a sterile fecal swab. You have a little uh, vial, a little container with that contains some uh, preservative to help us preserve the sample once you get it and an instruction sheet. And so basically what you would do is you would take the swab um, and you would gently insert it um, you know, into the anus of the horse, just like you would do with a rectal thermometer. Um, take a very small sample, you take that, you put it into the container, you break it off, um, and you send it back to us. And in addition to that, um, you answer a, a very quick questionnaire, which provides us with all of what we call the metadata, all of the information on your specific horse, so that we can then go back and correlate that information to the different areas. So for example, right, let's say you send me a sample and you have a 12-year-old quarter horse mare that, you know, gets four pounds of concentrate per day and lives on pasture and has a history of maybe metabolic syndrome or laminitis or something like that. You can give us all that information and we can then input that into our bioinformatics platform so that in the future, we can then correlate all that data and say, okay, this microbiome is associated with these physiological parameters. So to date, we've collected over 3,000 samples 
from horses around the country, which is in and of itself the largest microbiome sampling database um, that's ever been conducted for the horse. Um, and we are working diligently towards the sequencing of those samples. We've sequenced about a thousand of those samples at this point. And every day we're, you know, extracting DNA and working towards really understanding, you know, what that microbiome looks like in the horse. So big brain stuff here. Now, are there why particular... do I always feel like the class clown in this segment? <laughs> because that's why we don't let you talk, Glenn. So, so you're saying, Doctor Jacobs, that you basically you would like horse owners to send in these samples. Are there particular types of horses that you're looking for, like the ones you mentioned, or high performance, or race horses, or what are you looking for? Oh, such a good question. We are looking for anything and everything, right? At this point. We're not focused on any specific type of horse because we want the broadest data set possible, right? So for us to make an, a, a, an educated guess, and not even a guess, but an educated assumption based off of the data, we need to have as broad of a, of a database as possible. So right now we have samples from horses um, as young as a couple hours old, all the way to horses that are over, over 30 years old. We have a range of breeds um, I mean, when I go back and look at the data, there are some breeds that I've never even heard of. It's fantastic to, to see some of these breeds. Um, but then also we have, you know, horses that, that are perfectly healthy, that are performance horses, that are, are pasture pets and companions um, and, and everything in between. So, you know, at this point, we are really looking for all of those different scenarios. We've worked with uh, veterinarians around the country. And, and when we actually launched this product, we launched it at our annual veterinarian conference which we hold here in St. Louis. Um, and, and so we've worked with veterinarians to, you know, get samples from horses that are in hospital for, for certain reasons, whether it be colic surgeries or, or what have you. Um, and, and yeah, so at this point, the answer is if you have a horse, it's got four legs, um, you know, go ahead and, and send us a sample and we'll be happy to, to sequence that and work with that. Now, say I send in a sample and you guys get it and you're like, oh my God, this horse is near death or something like that. Will you contact me and let me know like, <laughs> hey, you probably should do some things to help your horse or is this just all getting input from every different type and there's there's no repercussions? Yeah, so that's another really good question. So right now, um, there's no output from, from Purina back to the horse owner because and then the, and there's a very good reason it's because it doesn't mean anything at this point. So I could absolutely take a gotcha. sample and I can sequence it and I can send you a pie chart that shows you, you know, this percentage of bugs are bacteria daddies and this percentage of bugs are from this phyla and so on and so forth. But in reality, that doesn't mean anything. It may be cool and it's a cool little picture and it's got lots of, you know, colors and, and whatever on it, but it doesn't mean anything. And that's why this is so important because in the future, that is exactly what our hope is that if you were to send us a sample from your horse, we can say, well, based on this horse's microbiome, we have, let's put a number in there, a 75 to 80%, you know, uh, uh, probability that this horse may be susceptible to developing metabolic syndrome or may be susceptible to, you know, colicking or something like that, because we would have that advanced data set. But right now, you know, we just don't have the numbers necessary to, to predict any of those things. So, you know, we've definitely gotten that question from veterinarians. We've gotten that question from horse owners where it's like, hey, you know, I got this sick horse. I sent you a sample. Can I get something back? And, and, and really, there's just no benefit to anybody at this point to even assume that we would have any understanding of what mm -hmm. a specific microbial ecology would mean for that horse's physio physiology.
Gotcha. Okay. So how can people, people listening to this, they're like, oh my gosh, I want to participate for science. How can they get involved? Absolutely. So the best way and the easiest way uh, for, for anybody to get involved is to go to purinamills.com slash microbiome. Let me just make sure that's correct. I'm 90 yeah, and I have, sure that's I correct. I have the link here. I have the link that's a little oh, bit longer. Perfect. And I'll put it in the show notes so that people, so yeah, just go to your awesome. show notes and, and click right on the link. It takes you to the page where you can submit, you know, get the kit. Yep, exactly. And that's the easiest way to do. And you'll be able to read a little bit about the project. Um, we've actually got some preliminary data up there from, from some of our other research. Um, but yeah, if you're interested in participating, you just go right there. You put your name on the list. Um, and basically what happens is we get a, a rundown of everybody that's requested a kit. We get that every week. Um, and then we go ahead and we fulfill the kits. And the kit comes with a prepaid envelope. So it's very easy. You just put your sample back in there. Uh, you send it back to us. Um, depending on the time and, and how many people that are requesting, you know, it could take us, you know, two weeks or so to get the kit out to you. So have a, you know, just a little bit of patience to, for us to get the kit out to you. Um, but yeah, that's the easiest way to do it. Okay. Fantastic. Well, you can go check it out at purinamills.com. Find out all of the information. Glenn will post it in the show notes. Dr. Jacobs, thank you so much for coming on and joining us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And uh, thank you for everybody out there that is, is going to participate in this project. You're absolutely helping to, to move the you know, equine nutrition science along to, to the next generation. So I'm allowed to send in an obnoxious little uh, hackney ponies. Uh, that works too? Absolutely. You can, you can do that for sure. Should I put obnoxious on the form? That count? <laughs> There's a question there. Definitely. That too? Uh, there, there is a questionnaire. There's a spot for you to add stuff. There's even a, there's even a, an opportunity for people to send in pictures of their horse, which we absolutely love to see. You know, people are sending in their pictures of their horses, which, you know, we know people love taking pictures. So um, yeah, there's, there's lots of information there and there's lots of places for you to talk about even the personality of your horse as well. All right. Perfect. Sounds good. Thanks a bunch. Appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Thank you. All right. Bye. I want to remind everybody, too, that Purina has a podcast. It's the uh, Health Nutrition Podcast. You can find it on the Horse Radio Network. So uh, the Horse Nutrition Podcast, you can find it on the Horse Radio Network, hosted by our own Lisa Wysocki. So uh, check that out today. They just came out with a new episode here last week. So you want to tune into that. Time to learn why some days you're embarrassed to be part of the human race. In Jamie's Weird News. You know, I have a Florida man story, but I don't know if I should do it or not because it's pretty uncomfortable. We'll see if we get to it. Um, no, Aren't all Florida man stories uncomfortable? Oh, this one's really... You're going to squirm. Like, if you think... Anal swabs are, are are bad. Like, just wait. Uh, but I would like to thank Casey, Aaron, Alicia, and Laura for all sending them in. Female representing here in the stories. So let's start in Alabama. Is that and why this all the stories are about men because they're sent in by women. Is that? Well, this one is actually a woman. Oh, okay. okay. Um, and I, I write the names down of the listeners. I don't say who sent me what, because I don't think that people need to know where you're finding your news. <laughs> <laughs> I think it should be kept a secret, but I was sent this one on Facebook and my response to it was yes. <laughs> <sighs> Alabama woman. Bless her heart. This is in Baldwin County, Alabama. Gulf Shores woman was arrested on an animal cruelty charge. See, Erica Marie Farmer, 34, 
was arrested and she faces a theft of, of property. And if you uh, steal livestock in Alabama, it's a felony. And currently she's in jail and her bond is set at $6,000. What did she do? You ask. She lives in, 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 I guess, some sort of agricultural neighborhood, and, and she has a, a young daughter, and she thought it'd be really funny to go next door and steal a baby goat. So she goes next door. She steals the baby goat. She brings it back to her. I don't know if this baby is a small one because I saw pictures of it. Um, so she goes and gets the goat and she brings it back to her house and she and her daughter are playing with it. And they're like, you know what we should do? Let's paint it. So <laughs> that's, what, that's the first thing I'd think of. <laughs> right. Wouldn't you just like, uh, you know, so, uh, so she decides that she and her daughter are going to paint the said goat. So the goat owner comes home. Goes out in the yard and like, hey, we're missing a goat. And so she calls her neighbor. Hey, Edna, I'm missing a goat. You guys seen a goat? He's like, Edna's like, no, nah, but uh, what was her name here? Hold on. Um, Erica just posted a photo on her social media oh, no. of her and her daughter with a painted goat. <laughs> so this has got to tell you how much the neighborhood must like this woman. She doesn't go over to her neighbor's house to ask for the goat. She calls the cops. So the cops go over to Erica's house and open the door. And there's a goat in their kitchen that is currently painted. So now only she's been arrested for stealing an animal. She's also arrested for cruelty to animals because she painted their goat. Did it happen and to yes. say what color she painted? It's it's pink, Glenn. It's a white goat, <laughs> and they painted it pink. Pinkish, purplish. I couldn't She's really a tell. Mary Kay representative. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm going to steal this thing, and then I'm going to paint it, and then I'm going to post it on social media for everybody to see. <laughs> but I just love that Edna across the street was like, you know what? I saw Erica posting something on, you know, uh, Instagram about some goat they done painted. I think Erica's <laughs> been in trouble before, is my guess. <laughs> Probably not her first. Her not first her first. <laughs> All right, let's move on. You know, I think that it's only fair that not only do we make fun of Americans, we also step outside of our country and we move to another country. And this time we're going to go to Ireland. Glenn, what do you think the reason that two nuns, two nuns in Ireland would get arrested for? <laughs> Um, driving while intoxicated. But what would you think nuns would get arrested? For? Driving while intoxicated. Okay. Well, no, that is not it. Okay. Um, they were arrested and taken away because they broke lockdown protocol. They broke lockdown protocol because an event gathering over 70 people in Herbert park is a video that was posted online. And uh, these two women attended an exorcism. That's right. Somebody had to get exercised. And uh, so they went to It's a public this, event? I thought it was just uh, the priest and the person. Public <laughs> event. The priest and the sisters and other people uh, were all attending an exorcism it's in a been a hell of a demon. <laughs> like... I mean, so apparently outdoor gatherings are banned to 15, and there were 70 people that attended this exorcism. That's so... how hard up everybody is. You know, they can't 
can't watch movies. Need entertainment. (laughs) Need entertainment. Need to get out of the house. Can't go to restaurants. Let's go watch an exorcism. Let's do it. All right, moving on. Now, would you go watch an exorcism, by the way? I didn't even know that people did that. Not in public. (laughs) Like, there's so much wrong in this article. I'm just going to end it with that because the the things that follow are not important. This is how paranoid I am. I wouldn't go to the exorcism because I'd be afraid once they exorcise the demon, the demon's got to go someplace. And jumps out of their body and Into me! That's right. The demon will look around a crowd of 70 and go, oh, that's a sucker right there. I'll just go to the, go to him. I, that's how it works in the movies. I, I wouldn't go. I don't want to. Good call. Good call. Well, we, we're going to leave Dublin now, and we're going to head to good old United States. And sadly, we're going to head to Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Oklahoma's been in there with Florida recently. Yeah, I'm really proud to live here. Um, So we're going to go to Tulsa, though, which is uh, northeast of Oklahoma City. And a Tulsa woman has been arrested. And um, apparently last week, police were dispatched to the home of uh, near 51st and Sheridan because this woman was home with her two small children. And she called 911 and said, somebody's breaking in, somebody's breaking in. And so officers arrived quickly and found an open window, the screen removed. And a few seconds later, they see Sharon Carr come running out of the shadows, trying to run down the street. And they're like, get her. And they grab her and they arrest her. And she's like, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. Well, it turns out she might have done something because just outside the window was a... Was a bag of Cheetos and a Mountain Dew. <laughs> she was hungry. The Cheetos and the Mountain Dew were left on the floor near the open window. And she's like, I didn't do nothing. And as she's saying, I didn't do nothing, they looked and yes, she was arrested because they found Cheeto residue on her teeth and fingers. <laughs> <laughs> So next time you're eating Cheetos and your fingers are orange, make sure you get all that off because you could go down for a crime. <laughs> How would you like to be the one in jail when the huge woman that's known to beat everybody up in jail comes up to you and asks what you've been arrested for and you have to say <laughs> Cheetos? I got busted. You are going to get the crap meat out of you. <laughs> How embarrassing. Oh, God. So proud. So going to move over to China. Now we're going to go all the way across the globe to China because it has become very uncomfortable and something is happening in China that even the Japanese are upset about. And the Japanese are saying, stop it. You do not have to do that. Stop it. Do you know what I'm talking about, Glenn? There's so much with China. I'm going to pick one. <laughs> they are currently doing COVID swabs. Yes, and they are. Yes, yes, they, yes. They're, they're testing everybody. And what they've determined is that the best way to take a yes. COVID swab... We talked about this the other day. ...is rectally. Yeah. Why? <laughs> there is a an instruction manual that was posted and it is horrifying to say now, the do least. you have to bend over for somebody else or are you doing it yourself? Well, the instructions that I'm seeing, it's all in Chinese, of course, but it is one person doing the COVID swab for themselves. <laughs> okay, good, because I can imagine that job all day long. Oh. <gasps> 
you know what? There's just too much to think about here, but they're saying, Japan is saying, stop it. Stop doing that. They're people. Stop sticking. Apparently they butts. did it to a couple. Uh, they made a couple of United States diplomats that were in one of the embassies or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, do it as well. And that caused quite a stink and they apologized. Oh, they pun, are pun not intended, that, but apparently I did just do a pun there. Yeah, well, they're saying, to my knowledge, China has never required U.S. diplomatic staff stationed in China to conduct anal test swabs, says the Chinese foreign ministry oh, spokesman. apparently last week there were a couple of uh, uh, U.S. diplomats that would argue with that. Yes, yes, that <laughs> so, is true. They are uh, arguing. <laughs> All right, I have one more, but it's very Again, how do we go from the nose to there? We're going we're gonna to go even. It's This, this one's worse. I'm just. Oh, we've run out of time. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to head to Florida now. I'm going to keep it very brief. Florida man. It <laughs> always starts out with Florida man. <laughs> this is horrifying. Florida man goes home and he sees that his neighbor is in with his wife. I- I'm trying to keep this. So. This various position in in various positions. Okay. I don't know the position. I I can't really read this. Um, and so um, the the husband storms out and he's very unhappy. Well, apparently the neighbor man goes home, and then floor man goes to neighbor's house with a pair of scissors, and that's all I'm going to say. Oh, did what happened? We think what happened happened. Have you heard of Lorena Bobbitt? Yes. Oh, that's what I thought Scissors. happened. Yeah. Scissors! Yeah, there you go. Moving on. It must have been Play a hell of a battle. He had to get the guy's pants off. <laughs> so. I, I chose not to think anymore of it. <laughs> Is that the last one? But I'll just tell you that the title. <laughs> you can't resist. The article. You can't resist. <laughs> Florida man attacks wife's lover with scissors and flees with his penis, according to police. Uh, I'm done. And that's done. the end of weird news for today. It's out. Got it in Florida. <laughs> that anal swabs were bad. Good Lord. I do want to know why they went to anal swabs and how that came about. And then, do you really want to be the lurking in the lab all day? There's a lot of all these stories that we're not going to exorcisms. (laughs) We're not going to go to be Florida men and associated with crazy people. We're not going to weird ones today. I did. I still didn't know they did exorcisms in public. I didn't know that was a public spectacle. Uh, It's in the city park. And again, have you ever watched a horror movie? The demons going someplace. Goat stealing. (laughs) See, it never seems so innocuous. All right, let's go to our Black Rain magazine, guest of the month. We have Sonobia Stewart on with us, and as I said, she is the Black Rain magazine, guest of the month. Hi, Sonobia. Hi, how are you all doing? Thanks Good. for having me. Good, and you're from North Carolina, right? I am uh, from Cedar Grove, North Carolina. And I got to tell you, tell you, everybody, that uh, we've had some mighty smart people on the show today talking about some very intelligent things. And uh, Sonobia is right in there because she's a graduate with a bachelor's degree in equestrian studies, as well as criminal justice and sociology, uh, runs her own business. She's kind of a badass. And she's also a superstar dressage rider. We're going to talk a lot about that as well. Tell us first about your horse. 
Yes. Um, so my horse is named Zima, and he is a 17-year-old Dutch harness horse gelding. I've been competing with him. I've had him about six years now, and uh, we're working at third level, working towards our bronze medal. We've got a show this weekend coming up. Um, but, yeah, no, he's he's awesome. He's been featured in several different uh, publications. And, and um, I have seen you in publications, actually. Uh, so what? why dressage? I actually, so I first started out, uh, believe it or not, doing Western, and that kind of got a little bit boring for me. So I switched over to English and did eventing. Um, and then once I went to Averitt, I started learning the theoretical side of dressage, and it was really interesting. And that's when I really took an interest in dressage and went that route. And you've traveled to Germany, too. You've done this right. I mean, you've done done the whole route here. Yep, I traveled to Germany. Uh, it was a part of a study abroad program through Abert University. And uh, I went both years and did my... So the first year I did the small bronze performance medal, and the next year I did the large bronze, and I also did a lunging medal. Um, and ba- the basis of that is... They test you on theory, jumping, and dressage, and it's quite intense. It's about two weeks of pretty heavy training, and then you you test in front of the German FN. And they do that for pretty much all their disciplines, don't they? Have the same kind of program? They do, um, because in Germany, it's equestrian is regulated pretty much by the government. So you need a certification just to show. You need a certification to train. Um, so it is very regulated there as opposed to here in the States. Can you imagine trying to get that across here? It'd be a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, th- I think it would be for the best, but um, yeah, it would it would be a nightmare. Yeah, no matter how good we think it would be for the industry as a whole, it would be a nightmare. <laughs> Absolutely. Can't breed a horse without a certification. Yeah, it would it would not not be pretty. Now, I've seen a lot of Dutch harness horses, but I've seen a lot of Dutch harness horses doing driving because, you know, actually one of my neighbors here has Dutch harness horses. I I haven't seen them a whole lot. How did you end up with a Dutch harness horse? (laughs) So, actually, I I really lucked up. Um, So, a good friend and mentor of mine, Patricia Roberts, um, owned Zima prior to me getting him. Um, And she just happened to have a Dutch harness horse. And... um, Luckily, her and my dad uh, kind of surprised me. He bought Zima, and I was not aware of it at the time, so it was kind of a gift. So that's how I ended up with Zima. Um, that's been about six years ago. Is your dad no horses, or was he just praying and hoping for the best? <laughs> he knows a bit about horses because he's been um, with me on this journey for quite some time now. Um, he's not a horse person, per se, but he knows a little bit about horses. Well, you're you also are a business person. Tell us about that. Yes. Um, so I do have a full-time job, um, which is in the biotechnology industry, but I also have my own business, um, an industrial hemp farm, and it's called FRS and Acres, and we grow hemp. The brand name is Gorilla Hemp, um, and that started about three years ago, and so Still working on that. Uh, Right now, we are selling to the smokable market, and we're looking to get some more value-added products added um, to our line. So, obviously, everybody that has a farm right now, and some 
very famous horse people have done this, uh, have converted their farms into hemp farms. Uh, and everybody that has a farm right now is going, can I make more money doing that? Is there money to be made in that? Or, or are we reaching a saturation point already? Oh, we've, we've definitely reached a saturation point. And with hemp being so new, um, well, specifically in North Carolina, uh, it's still a very fickle market and the regulations are not quite where they need to be. Uh, so I would not put all my eggs in one basket with a hemp farm at the moment, but there is definitely, you know, chance to be lucrative, but there's also a big chance of losing a lot of money as well. See, Jamie, get rid of those horses. Start planting some plants. <laughs> what I'm hearing is that I need to keep the horses and just add more. <laughs> I think I heard that too. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, you also are an advocate for black farmers. Tell us about that. I am. So I am a part of an advisory panel. It's called Orange County Black Farmers. And it's a new group that we've developed, and we're going to be working with our local county, Orange County, to develop some grant programs that are targeted towards minority and black farmers. Because as it is right now, the grants that are available are not really feasible, or there's a lot of hoops that you've got to jump through as a minority to be able to receive that funding. Um, so that's something that we're working on in that group. I also am hopefully soon going to be working with another organization called RAFI. And with that organization, they do a lot of advocacy for minority farmers as well. And I'll hopefully be working under uh, the advocacy department and helping farmers that have had issues with the USDA FSA, um, specifically helping them with discrimination complaints and things like that. Okay, let me review here for everybody. She is a high-level dressage rider. She has a full-time job. She runs an industrial hemp farm, and she volunteers doing all this farmer stuff. Where, do you sleep? Uh, social life? Anything <laughs> like that? Yeah. yeah, I just have to, I have to balance it out. The pandemic has actually helped a lot because a lot of these meetings are now virtual, so I'm not having to run around quite as much as I was before. Doesn't make me feel lazy though talking to you. I'm going to be honest. I feel a little lazy. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Jeez, girl. <laughs> well, this is very cool. Do you hope to uh, rise up through the ranks on the dressage side and you know be Olympic qualified, make the team one day? Is that a hope, or are you are you happy being where you're at? Um, that's definitely an aspiration. Uh, not really sure how. The finance part of it, that's that's kind of the issue as far as getting to the Olympics. But my definite goal is to get to the Grand Prix. And my specific goal with Zima is to at least get to uh, pre-St. George. I think he can do Grand Prix, but just going to kind of, you know, keep a, a reasonable goal because he is 17 years old. You know, there's been a lot of talk about diversity and, and the, the USEF's working on that now and, and everything. How do you feel about uh, the initiatives that are happening now? Have you been following it? I have been following it a bit, and I think that it's good that it's now out in the open and uh, the USEF is working towards finding some solutions. I still think that the accessibility to shows, and this doesn't even have to necessarily be as far as diversity is concerned, I think there needs to be some attention to, you know, the show fees because they've just gotten so incredibly expensive. And, I mean, that rules out minorities, that rules out, you know, the regular patrons. And so I think that 
is definitely an exclusive factor to getting, you know, a more diverse population that's showing recognized. And that diverse economically and so- socially and race, I mean, every way, right? I mean, it's, that's yeah. true. Every- yeah, in every way. I mean, I, when I married into this horse thing 30 years ago, my wife was an inventor, and I thought the fees were high then. And when I see them now, I'm like, oh, my God, <laughs> I don't know how people do it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's quite quite insane at this point. <laughs> <laughs> and there can't be a whole lot of black dressage riders. You see you see more in the jumping side of things and even some in eventing, but dressage, I think there's probably even less. Yeah, there are really not that many uh, dressage riders that are black. Uh, my grandma always used to make a joke whenever I would come back from a show and say, were you the only little black spot there? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you were <laughs> yeah I was. only only a grandma can say something like that <laughs> <laughs> well i'm glad you're out there representing and i you know i do hope that uh we start to see more diversity you know there's it, that that's easy to talk about and a really 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 tough thing to get accomplished you know but you got to start hey. somewhere i mean we got to start somewhere as an industry um or it's never going to get accomplished. Absolutely. Well, good luck with that. Good luck with your career, too. We hope to see you on the team one day. That would be absolutely wonderful. And uh, if I decide to convert the farm, I will, I'll, I'll give you a call to get some pointers, okay? Okay, yeah, absolutely. I'd be happy to help. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thanks a bunch. We appreciate it. Oh, do you have a website okay. or any where place people can follow you? Uh, yeah, they can follow me on Instagram or Facebook. My Instagram is just Synobia, which is spelled S-C-N-O-B-I-A. And you can find me on Facebook at Synobia Stewart. And you can follow my hemp page at Gorilla Hemp, which is also linked to my regular page. Got it. Very good. Thank you, Synobia. Appreciate it. All right. Well, thank you for having me on today. We also want to thank Black Rains Magazine for uh, providing the guests once a month. You can go to their website, too. Just Google Black Rains Magazine. It'll come right up, right at the top. And uh, we'll put links to all of our guests in today's show notes as well. Well, this has been a busy day. A lot to talk about. Some more serious uh, topics today. We'll be back to Silly on Friday. How about we get back to Silly on Friday with some really bad ads? We'll do that on Friday. And tomorrow is the driving episode, which I've already recorded with Wendy. So you'll see that in your feeds tomorrow. That was a lot of fun, too. So tune in tomorrow for the driving episode. Friday, we have a special guest host. Uh, and Mandy Flanders is going to join me because Jamie's going to be off to some concert or something. Uh, so Mandy Flanders is going to join me. She's going to be starting a new show here on the Horse Radio Network. And I thought we'd, th- <coughs> excuse me, I thought we'd throw her in the deep end by putting her on really bad ads day uh, as a guest co-host and see how she does. It makes her break some, Glenn. Yep, that's right. So we'll find out how she does on Friday. And you can follow Jamie at? You can find me at Flyover Farm. Jamie Jennings, Certified Monty Roberts Instructor on Facebook. You can email me at jamie at horseradionetwork.com or just send me a Facebook message. And that's if they want to send you weird news, too. That's you do it at jamie at horseradionetwork.com. I'd love to do Instagram. I just can't figure it out. Yeah, me And either. then a Snapchat thing, too. I'm trying that. No, I can't do it. <laughs> We're too old for that stuff. Too old. <laughs> Thanks, every. Oh, hang on, auditors. Uh, Jamie, I got to ask you about something. Uh, I heard you rode a horse yesterday for the first time. I got to talk. Don't about tell that. anybody. Shh. Oh, okay. Well, we'll talk about it with the auditors after when the it's not out to the public. Nobody will know. <laughs> <laughs>